0: Hello and welcome to the Law and Guidance Podcast with me, Sally Penny, MBE. This podcast is all about the law, guidance, policy and how they came about. This week I have a fantastic, fantastic guest in Lady, well she's not a lady, she's Baroness, gosh even bigger, Baroness Helen Newlove, who was the former Victims Commissioner for England and Wales. She is the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Bolton. And which has a legal a law department, and she sits as, as a peer in the House of Lords and I'm delighted to welcome her today to talk about vision, if you like, or the treatment of uh, victims and to find out what the victims' commissioner role actually is, because Baroness Newlove is not a qualified lawyer, but her role really she made the role and the title of the commissioner her own. So welcome Baroness Newlove.
1: Thank you very much, Sally. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Brilliant. Now, I introduced you, I didn't list all your many accomplishments and achievements, <laughs> uh, just, just some of the biggies, because I know you're involved in several charities as well. But it's right, isn't it, that you were the former Victims Commissioner for England and Wales, and you are the Vice-Chancellor for the University of Bolton, which of course um, has lots of law students and you sit in the House of Laws. And one of the things you've been responsible for relatively recently is the domestic abuse bill. And in that was the rightly, in my view, the offence of strangulation we should try to five-year sentence so all those things are right are they well some of them are right um, well in-
1: i'm the pro-vice chancellor i would love to be a vice chancellor but uh, our vice chancellor professor george holmes is brilliant is fantastic mentor but no i'm pro-vice chancellor which i absolutely adore the role thankfully. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Now, I don't know what the difference is, so I'll just continue calling you the Vice Chancellor.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I see you doing a lot of work, so I'm Thank sure he's doing the it. So, I, I'd like to start by asking you about the role of the Victims Commissioner, uh, because, as like I said, you're not a lawyer yourself, but what, what is the role and what, what did you do and what was expected of you?
1: It's a very interesting question, really, because the very first Victims Commissioner was Louise Casey, who's now Baroness Casey in the House of Lords. But then she stepped down halfway through to take up uh, troubled Families. So there was a huge gap and there was nobody speaking up for the victim's voice. And I used to get really irritated because, you know, it's a difficult journey for victims as it is. Mm. But having nobody around the table to, to actually challenge and advise and speak up for victims in government was something that really, really anxious to get out there. And, you know, not for me to be the victims commissioner, but I just said, we need a victims commissioner, you know, a challenge within. And finally that opportunity came and I became the victims commissioner. Now it is a role that you've got to truly understand and treat them with, di- treat victims with dignity and respect. And it's all victims of crime. So it's not just the high-end it's you know burglary criminal damage antisocial behavior as you know i'm passionate about that area mm-hmm. So I had to really recreate an office, um, because there was no office there. So the staff who I worked with me were brilliant. They all had backgrounds of being in the Sid Crown Prosecution Service, prisons, probation. So it would help shape the work. But most importantly, um, and I'm, you know, I'm very honoured that the teams I've worked with have really enjoyed working with me because I taught them something about victims and their journey and their voices. And that's what it is all about. It's about people talk about victims we read about victims but until you've actually um, worked on victims stories crime talking to agencies the huge impact that it leaves for the rest of their lives it was so important as a victims commissioner to be able to challenge the government to work with all the criminal justice agencies and you know the heads of the courts, you know, royal courts of justice, I used to go in and speak to the head of the, the, you know, the justice system, and and also look at prisons and probation. But for me, the victims commissioner role I was passionate about because too long victims were told this is what you should do instead of being told this is what we can do for you.
0: Yes, yes, it's quite interesting what it entailed, isn't it? Because. Daniel, can you just edit out this next section? Now, Baroness Newlove, I want to ask you about the loss of your husband, who was murdered in Warrington in a joint enterprise style offence. And I know that that was partly the catalyst to your passion for victims. Uh, Even now, after the role, you're still campaigning for for all sorts of rights, which I'll come, come back on. That was a dreadful incident which has affected you for, for quite some time, hasn't it? You and your daughters. Can you tell me what happened?
1: Yes, it's. you always read about families and, and what happens. But when it happens to you, you, well, you never think it's going to happen to you, I should say. But August 10, 2007, one summer night, my husband went out to um, ask a gang of youths that had been uh, damaging my next-door neighbour's garden digger. She was on her own uh, with a young baby. Her husband was working in Scotland. And by walking out that door, he never returned back because what happened was he there was a gang of youths and they asked a simple question of who's done the damage to that. And also, the, my daughters had said they'd heard somebody kicking my car so he we went to ask them a question, and asking that question, he lost his life. They beat him to death. They kicked him. he had forty internal injuries and fourteen kicks to the head. Each punch, and each kick was witnessed by my three young daughters, as I was in the house because I wasn't feeling so good, but as normal, like families, the girls run out with the father to see what's going on and um From then on, it was our world was shattered, completely shattered. It was only when Amy came running in who was 12 and asked me to phone for an ambulance that I really didn't think well silly as it sounds it sounds like why am I phoning 999 I'll get in trouble you know what's what's going on kind of thing and then when I you know I did phone them and said I'm gonna have to go outside because I don't fully understand it was then that I saw Gary lying on the ground fighting for his life choking on his own blood and tongue so it's yeah a sheer devastation that People seem to think you'll always get over these things, but you never actually do. You just learn a coping mechanism to survive each day, and it's a blessing each day.
0: Yes, quite quite. Gosh, I mean I remember I wasn't involved in that case, but watching it on the news and and it did feel like a, you know, quite shocking that it happened.
1: And um, yes, it made national, worldwide. I mean, we had people from across the globe and the messages and the support was just fabulous, but yeah, it's just numb. You know, you, we were going on holiday the following Wednesday. So when he was in intensive care, I kept saying to him, "Wake up!" And Amy wrote a letter, which was printed in the, the media. And you know, she said she'll she'll put on his sun cream because she knows he likes the sun if he's in a wheelchair her. And you know, it's it's just been it's one of them things that you never ever think um, you'll you have to go through. And it's you just have to live with it the best you can and cope with the best you can. And of course. The, you know, he doted on his daughter. So Zoe was 18, Danielle was 15, and Amy was 12. And so it's been a tough journey. And, you know, but we try and do the best we can.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, can I ask you this? Because I've been a barrister for a long time. I prosecute and I defend. And for us as advocates, you know, we have a lot of training about the way we ask questions and the way we come across, the way we test the evidence. That's our job. And often when we complete a case, that's the end of it. You know, I prosecute, you might, you go see the victim and the, and, uh, the complainants whilst you're waiting for jury just to explain the next stages and then verdict and then sentence. And that is often the, the end of the case, unless of course there's an appeal or uh, a unduly jury leaving sentence or something. And in defending, you know, if someone is acquitted, that's the end of the case. And then if they're convicted, then you explore the other options and appeal, uh, and so on so that's our experience or our involvement with victims whether they're often on the defense side or, or the prosecution side as this tradition ends there but but i wanted to ask you how lawyers so barristers and solicitors how can we improve the systems for victims and families and you know from a, a lawyer point of view let's put the government to the side for a moment uh, what can we do you having being a victim, and then subsequently being a commissioner.
1: Yeah, it's this is always a bugbear because as I used to work in the courts, I used to take the evidence down and, and I used to do the high-end murder cases and terrorism cases. Then I went and had children and everything like you do. And then, so I always had, I still do have the utmost respect for courts, but I was still a little bit naive in a sense of, when we came on um, the other side, so to speak, that whilst I had the utmost respect for the judge, and I have to say, uh, Lord Justice, Justice Justice Andrew Smith was absolutely a lovely man um, to do it, you know, so I can't say he wasn't. But the fact is that when you're on the other side, it is completely, um, you're basically standing on the fence because it's all about facts and evidence, and it's all about having to do the proceedings correctly. So we were told we couldn't cry, girls were told they couldn't cry, don't fidget when they were given evidence. And then, of course, I've worked with lawyers in the court, so I saw them a different way. However, I have to say that at the time, and this was 2007, and seven, eight. The, the, there was five prosecu uh, there was a prosecution and a junior prosecution and police and that was okay. Um but the, the five defendants in the dock had a QC each. And as you know, Sally, that they you know, they they know the game, they know what to do in a sense, they've there to do a job. But it was very much um intimidating for my daughters and very disrespectful in that they would also have a set of solicitors behind them because obviously they are instructions. And, you know, it was laughing and joking about skiing holidays. It was laughing and joking about other things. And even up to when they were out, uh, the jury went out. We've got, you know, you called back to court and you, you, it's gut-wrenching. And the, the, the solicitors would just say, don't worry to the offenders. It's only a question. And I just think sometimes they need to step back. They need to look at what who people are. People are around you, and also the size of the court. I mean, this was Chester Crown Court. The acoustics were terrible. Um, One door into the court, you know what courts designs are like. Um, No family room, so you're rushing up and down. You've got your family liaison officers. So, of course, you've got the families of the offenders. Who were one family offender was very rude, and it was just it just felt like a fight all the time. And so, for me, that that's what I was looking at, thinking you know, please have some sensitivity here. Yes, you do. And, you know, I still said, yes, they're doing the job. I understood why there was five, which my family couldn't understand. And, you know, we adjourned for silly things like one wanted a dental appointment, which was we basically knew wasn't true and I thought well if you know and then one we were adjourned for a couple of hours because the van got stuck in traffic and they after so long they were asked to ask for a drink while they're there and they didn't but when they got to court they did so there was a lot of playing as well Um, so sitting through you know a 10-week court trial like that makes you think that actually lawyers when you're on the other side is completely different you know we don't have an advocate that will speak up for us Mm-hmm. The prosecutor isn't for victims, which a lot of pro- which a lot of victims think they are. They're not but for the state, and so there was lots of things that I was getting very um, disappointed in. That I thought we have a system, and I do believe in you know British justice system. However, there's things that need to be tweaked and need to be respected, and need to see there's two sides to hear, and we should have equal rights for both. So. I've I, in the role as Victims Commissioner, which I absolutely love. I, after seven years, you know, you have, I had have to step down because it's only so long you can do that. But one of the main things I wanted to do was to speak to solicitors and barristers and judges, to just say, think. Um, because, you know, we're only human, you'll make things wrong. But when you've got, you know, my young daughter's given evidence and told to, you know, behave a certain way, and yet you see offenders behave in another way and lawyers and everything, it does make you feel very sickening in the stomach. So I had the opportunity to talk to them, ask them, work with the Crown Prosecution Service, work with the DPP to ensure that they fully understood because when you see all these lawyers um, as a victim and a witness, it's scary, it's very intimidating. And, you know, as we see now, sometimes they don't even spend five minutes with victims. I was very lucky that I got to meet the prosecutor but I recognise even now that they don't always get that opportunity. So it's work in progress. But I do think lawyers sometimes we're all busy. We're all trying to do the best, but at the same time treat you treat them with human dignity and respect. Yes, yes.
0: Now, Baron you look you you the your husband sadly was killed in two thousand and seven. Yes. That night. And you became a victims commissioner in twenty twelve yes. um according to my research, and so there was a a number of years obviously before that happened and th- and that must have come after some you know time and campaigning. But I wondered um when you were appointed as a Tory peer by David Cameron, how did that come about, <laughs> and were you expecting it, or were you totally shocked?
1: um I was totally shocked. I received a phone call from David. And I'd missed it actually. He left me a voicemail and I thought he's ringing. Maybe he wants to do some uh, conferencing or just doing some chatting or whatever. And when I rang him back, um, he'd left, uh, he said, you know, I I really think after all the hard work you've done I really like to take a seat in the house of lords well it's not something every day that somebody asks you that in a sense
0: <laughs> <laughs> um he ever asked me I mean, yeah, you know, you know,
1: and um and the the thing is you can't mention it to anybody you see you've got to keep it quiet so it's so anyway I I, I said, he said no, I want you to have time to think about this so that's fine and um I spoke to my mum and you know she said it's it's an honor and and everything so I said, well I know about the red benches but I don't know you know I'm very working class and uh, and um, so anyway my mum said it's an honor you can't turn down so and um, think what you can do while you're there you know for victims and everything so I accepted but the process is so you know it's like 10 step forward and 50 back and in the meantime we Gordon brown called an election so it was eight months before it was announced Um, Uh so it was eight months of keeping everything secret so the funny thing is you know you checked out and and we hear a lot of stories about you know all these millionaires and and everything and 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 i spoke to the leader at the time which was lord strathclyde and and i said to him you know uh, he said what we do we do checks and I'm thinking, oh my God, have I paid my lucky bill? Have I paid my credit card off? You know, do I owe anybody? Is my council tax paid? And he started laughing and he said, Helen, it's if you've donated, like, say, a few million to the Conservative. And I went, I said to him, I said, you've got to be joking, if I had a few million, my daughters would spend it on Laboutin, you name it, I certainly wouldn't go to the Conservative party. So it was quite a a journey uh, of education once again. And then you go and see, you you know, you go for your title. I mean, you know, you've got a beautiful title, a clever lady work, you know, you work so well and, and, um, you know, to go and find out lord you know uh, from uh, the coat of arms to find out what you know your title what you want to be I, I just thought my god a lot of people might have a lot of names but that won't be right for the queen <laughs> uh, you know a good old northerner here so it is, it's very surreal but it's very honorable to, to be able to do it but it has to say it's it's quite you have to map it all out and it's very procedural i'll have to go through to the queen and then finally the queen um does the writ for you to be able to go and take a seat in Parliament. So, um, yeah, it was awe-inspiring, very uh, nervous, very scared. When I went for the induction meeting, you know, there was a lot of people that speak with plums in the mouth and, and you know, I kept thinking somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, you shouldn't be here because I didn't speak like them. But I have to say, you know, whatever anybody says about the House of Lords and it has to be, no, nobody speaks positively. And it's not because I'm one of these. I actually think it's the most respectful place. It's so nice because even though we're all on different political sides, we can speak. It's an education are very approachable and the staff are just wonderful and i love history so i'm in awe of this place that's got so much history um so yeah so for me but i haven't said you know it's been quite nerve-wracking uh to go into the house of lords and then learn the do's and don'ts basically and uh and from there, you know, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. It's just an education every day. I mean, look at it now. We're doing different because of pandemic. So it's yeah. interesting. But I was awe-inspired by the people in there, you know, Neil Kinnock's. you know, all the people I've seen on the news, in the commons. It was like, oh, my word, oh, my word. Yes. So, yes, yes. So, as I say, it's been an interesting journey and still is.
0: Well, it's right that you well, I don't know if it's right that you were in awe, but you felt in awe of, of um those people and you know, Michael Heseltine, I think he's yes. in there, isn't he? All, I suppose all these supposed great names, if you like. But you've been heavily involved in all sorts of laws and lobbying and debating. And I've been to the House of Lords on a tour, I should say, uh, with my trainers on. A lot of people are asleep. They're not blonde uh, with glasses and embracing technology. I know COVID has prevented physical visits there. But you've been heavily involved in lots of different areas, one of which has been the new strangulation offence. And you were involved in that coming onto into life, if you like, because it's on the statute books now and in the form of the Domestic Abuse uh, Bill. It's now the Domestic Abuse Act, as we record it. How did you get involved in that? And if I may say so, my point is, working class or not, plums in your mouth or not, I think you've done pretty all right.
1: Uh, Thanks. (laughs) uh,
0: With a very important statute with lots of new areas of what abuse is, including a wider definition of coercive behaviour, for instance, because I've read it. So how did you get involved in that bill? And especially in the strangulation aspect as well?
1: Well... I've been following the domestic abuse bill when it was in the House of Commons and of course then it got stopped. It's been stopped several times because we've yes. had new parliamentary sessions. And I do think we should get rid of where we have to start all over again because I'm sure it's just a sheer waste of time. We could get a lot more, but that's that's constitutional. I don't think I'll uh, get my voice heard in that one. But um, as I've been watching it, and at the time I was Victims Commissioner, I've met so many victims of domestic abuse, male and female of domestic abuse. It's the most horrendous effect, abuse. It's just awful to think another human being, that a person that you think loves you, You know, can beat you, can coercive control you, can beat you to death, throw you in a bath to wake you up and start the circus again. You know, I'll threaten you with a tea towel that nobody knows that that's a threat. It is just a, it's just unbelievable. And then people have never left me, so I was really, really wanted the domestic abuse bill to come through. So you know it's not easy it comes to, the bill comes to the house of lords the house of commons go through the same procedures but when it comes to the house of lords the house of lords scrutinizes every bill line by line looks at better amendments challenges again uh, the, the government and uh, really our probes at the government to make them think, rethink of what they're doing. And then I was approached by by lots of people, actually, from um, Justice for Women. I think it's Justice for Women. I always get it wrong. Um, who do all the legal cases. They've just done the rape cases. Yeah. And apologies if I got it wrong. Naga came, they, they send you lots of briefing and ask, would you support this, you know, the non-fatal strangulation? Yeah. So, of course, when I said yes, because I just thought this is utterly appalling, um, the group got kind of bigger, you know, and, it, it, you know, and this was all like in the behind the scenes. And this is the bit I would like people to understand. It just doesn't happen what you see on the screen. We work really hard, not paid, may I ask, because I really think it's important to recognize that we are the amount of work that we do. And it's not about the money. It's being recognition for a skill that you're doing in any job. You should, you know, that's there. You shouldn't have to justify because, you know, the Daily Mail gives you a bad headline or something like that. But it, it what I learned about non-fatal strangulation, it just, honestly, Sally, it was just sickening. And um, the way society looks at it, you know, that act, is, uh, and it wasn't about a sexual act. So, you know, there is a defence in, you know, in the in the domestic abuse Act, as you know, yeah. and you can't make that a defence anymore. But it was just the way it was being overlooked, um, or it was being seen as a pure assault, now, you know, under the, under the Offences Against the Person Act. And so under the, the Offences Against the Person Act, it had no impact. It didn't mean anything. And, and as you know, it's just, it, the sentence is nothing to that. But also, on the other side of it, victims didn't know they were strangled. And that's what was really scary. They had no idea they'd been strangled. So, you know, strangulation within 10 or 15 seconds, you you know, your body just goes, you urinate or whatever, and your body just goes. Mm-hmm. And they'd have no recollection. But under the, if you went for a medical, uh, you have like blood clots behind your eyes. Women were three or four months down the line suffering from strokes, uh, having embolisms. You know, this was a serious health impact for women, And so for for no system to support them or or help them, there was no way of them going. So I was absolutely delighted um, to take this amendment forward and more so that I got cross-party support across the House, which was more important um, to to speak to the government to to ensure that they put it in. As far as I was concerned, it's a win-win because... This is about protecting vulnerable women, and it is mainly women um, from this horrendous act. Because if you don't know you've been strangled, what does that say about the, you know, it's not about sex, it's about power. It's about controlling you. Um, So it was, you know, I I spoke about many people who had suffered at the hands of of an abuser. And at the end of the day, you know, we have to put in laws to protect them. And it was no good being under the Offences Against the Person Bill, uh, Offences Against the Person's Act, which which is going to be reviewed. That's too late. There was also speaking about in the Police uh, Crime Court Sentencing Bill that's now in the House of Commons. It's too late. And within you know there's many women being murdered um, you know I think there's about 20 already being murdered within a short space of going through the bill so it was very important and I was just delighted to be that you know the kind of the voice to get this important work out and we worked with St Mary's um, referral centre in Manchester yeah. Dr Kath White yeah. and you know her her input was so important, but the hard work behind the scenes to talk, get these conversations going. Um, and it was so important to recognise that this isn't about a slap on the wrist. Uh, this was actually, you know, you've done a bad act to a vulnerable person and you will be given a sentence to, to match that. And it's for me, I am absolutely delighted that it's it's in the Domestic Abuse Act and more so that, you know, New Zealand have got it in their their act as well. It's it's just we need to put it in there. There's so much more that could have gone in that bill and should have gone in that bill, Mm -hmm. Um, but I will be uh, watching to see what goes on. So for for all the women who have fought for many years, it wasn't just me, it was all them campaigners who have fought for many years to make sure that non-fatal strangulation was fully understood. Uh, was in a bill that means what it says, and uh, this is what the domestic abuse bill uh, was going to be, uh, you know, world leading. It was very important that we I fought the government to get it in, and I did say I would divide the House if they wouldn't accept it. And thankfully, they didn't get to that, and uh, they did accept it. Yes, interesting.
0: What does that mean to divide the house? I think that's a our political. Uh, no,
1: no, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when you when, when you you are so passionate, um, you you just make it intent. Uh, you make the intention and let it be known in on the floor of the chamber to the government that you will divide the house. And what that means is you're going to test the opinion of the house, where they will call votes. So they'll either vote against the government or for the government.
0: Yes, yeah. and of course
1: mine was against the government for not accepting this, um, and so fine, thankfully we didn't get. But I did in, I did make it in my speech that I would, if we, if if talks behind the scenes didn't progress, because I wasn't going to, you know, be sitting with blood on my hands, knowing that we could have saved these people from dying. Yeah, quite, quite.
0: Well, can I ask you this? A tragic set of affairs ignited some real positivity in the work that you have been doing since tragedy but actually you've still got a family and you've still got to do you know what what for me would be my day job and uh and you've still got to look after children involving your charity work university and so on and so forth so i i wonder what do you do or what would you like to do for your well-being
1: my daughter's asked for that that's really interesting sally in a sense um i've found this journey to be therapeutic i you know you can either you know, I was suicidal, you can you do things, but I just think it's important to to recognize and think that I've got an opportunity to speak up for victims. So for me that was it. But I think what's made me realize is and it's down to you know COVID and the pandemic, and I think a lot of people have used this time to reassess their lives, what you know, the rushing you know, like you rush round. You know, I've travelled to London for 11 years, lived in hotels and packed so many suitcases. And, you know, the novelty soon wears off. It's yeah. not that fantastic. But during lockdown, I decided that I wanted to reassess, spend more time with my family. Um, obviously, the girls are grown up now. Uh, and I've done, you know, the best I can. And for them, to, they've got jobs, they've got partners, whatever. Uh, but I felt that like I wanted to, more time could be, and more energy could be spent instead of traveling, work work here uh, from home. But also I want to do something for me where I needed to, health-wise, um, to do something for me. So actually my well-being is, I like reading. Uh, I like reading um, very much, but I couldn't even read. I was that, the adrenaline, like you say, we live on adrenaline, don't we, Sally? Yes. when that adrenaline, I don't know if you find it, when the adrenaline stopped, it was like my body going, Ugh. So I just felt that, you know, as you know, I suffer from fibromyalgia and arthritis. I felt I needed to feel fitter. I didn't like the feel. So I go to reform Pilates now, which is absolutely wonderful. That is my sanity for my mental health. So, you know, on this bed, stretching, doing all kinds of things but it made me feel wonderful that I'm actually feeling you know I you know I was like Peppa Pig with a tutu on really at the beginning you know but I <laughs> uh, you know and I'm not you know I'm still not Ellie McPherson, you know the model thing <laughs> but you know at the end of the day you know I'm 60 in December and I just wanted to say I wanted to be sexy and 60 not uh, fat and 60 at the end of the day so for me it's um it it's that's my well-being and and I have to do it because I, otherwise if I don't uh I just need to think. Well, what am I doing? I need to get something for me for Helen. Um, at the end of the day, and my girls are delighted. Actually, they just—they um, just think it's great, and they can see a difference mentally and physically. So, because you just, as you know, you can get bogged down in so many things. Um, and I just didn't like that. Adrenaline wasn't there. I didn't like it. So thank God for my university role because I got to meet students. Yes. Um, You know, because we're so busy, and I met some students, but. Thank God for Zoom and Microsoft Teams. Whoever invented them, the millionaires, we should have been there, Sally, we would away. Oh. <laughs> um, but, you know, I got to meet so many students online. That's the great thing about technology is that you can have an audience of 2,000 or 500 or whatever Zoom lets you in at Microsoft. Um, I was able to connect with them and have a chat with them. and And I, I just found that was really wonderful because I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was up and down in London or whatever. So I just COVID has really assessed a lot of people. Sadly, a lot of people have lost their lives. But I do think, I'm, you know, going off a bandwagon in a sense is I do think, you know, we've got to remember that so many people lost their lives mm. uh, and we've got to do as a society, be more kind and self-caring instead of going back to a very greedy, egotistical, you know, me, me, me situation because we were all in it for COVID and we still are. And we've just got to get that connection and keep it strong.
0: Yes, I think I think that's very well put, actually, uh, Baroness. And what do you do? You how do you and indeed your daughters then stay resilient? You know, do you have down days where you're on a real downer? How do you pick yourself? Because on the subject of COVID, which you've just alluded to, resilience is so important. You know, it, it taught us that it's okay for people to be feeling overwhelmed and on a low. In some respects, it's highlighted the mental health problem that this country has been facing for years and you know the suicide mm. rates so how do you stay resilient and bounce forward we often talk about bouncing back don't we mm. but I prefer bouncing forward uh, which is a much more realistic analogy how, how do you you and your girls keep very
1: I think I'm very good at helping anybody else. But when it I think anybody's like this, I suppose, when it's down to your personal. And of course, you know, I'm still going through the criminal justice system on parole hearings, on tariff review hearings. It can get very difficult. And yes, there is down days. And my girls kind of go in a domino effect, actually, when when they do have the down. They all suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and I think I do it in a certain way. But my my job has been my therapy to to toughen them up you know and not in the sense that they're soft but actually I, i'm the one who's got to be there say so we can do this and do that um but now they're a little bit older they're quite resilient that resilience has worked because now they say mom we can handle this you need to tell us you know um, because yeah. as a mum, I was very protective of what they knew, what they didn't know. You know, they didn't need to know. There was a certain time for them to know. Yeah. Uh, but now, you know, we're, uh, thankfully, we're very close. We were close before sadly losing Gary. But, it, you know, I'm not saying it's easy. It's, you know, you just, the mood swings were on, you know, it is difficult at times and memorable times and little things. It, it is a... A living nightmare for the rest of our lives to be honest there's no you know people as i say before earlier on people think you should heal or whatever but it's not where you're prepared i mean it hurts when you're prepared no somebody's going to die or somebody you know you lose somebody it was the violence and what they witnessed and the criminal justice system again even with me as former victims commissioner the things i do know and challenge it is just unbelievable in a sense that that victim's voice is still fighting um, to be you know by individuals who don't get it and you have no say you do have a say with statements and put your voice which I do people say why do you bother doing that well I bother because I always vowed I would for Gary and I think every family goes through the same you know why shouldn't you have a voice Um, but you know so if you give up you give up but for me, it's about ensuring that victim's voice is truly heard and I'll carry on doing it. Like you say, I'm still not in that role and uh, I'll still carry on doing it. I'm looking forward to the police and crime sentencing bill next. When it oh, comes yeah. To, uh, you know, 360 pages just delivered the other day and I'm really excited <laughs> to get stuck into that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a- in fact, I've got, look, I've got it here, Sally, look. Oh, gosh, <laughs> oh, look, yes. It already. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. Well, you heard it here first. I thought I was a geek. <laughs> laws and having the actual printout of the law. So uh, that's really great to see, given that from a legal point of view, we spend a lot of time criticising um, some of the statutes. That's. I really look forward to hearing. Uh, you'll have to come back on for us to discuss more, more of that bill. I noticed in my research that you're quite active on, uh, social media and the platforms, as in, you know, you post stuff. So are lots of barristers, uh, and solicitors and, uh, on Insta and Twitter and LinkedIn. And I noticed also that, um, you know, you don't mind commenting. You always look very glam on your, uh, uh social media. But I, I wondered, when did you decide? I'm not very good. Uh, I have to say, apart from talking about podcasts, but, um, I'm not very good on it, and I wondered when did you decide to embrace social media for the positive, if you like?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I am a positive person in a sense, I, I, and social media, my daughter is a social media coach, and, and she does all sorts of things, and she kept saying, Mom, you know, I kept saying, why do these get millions, you know, it's really how does this work? And she's mum. Well, we have to continuously do it, and so it is hard work with this social media. As you know, as you know, I mean, I'm no good at the podcast, so I'm having to go at the podcast. So I might come to you for some tips. Oh, but no. social media is about is a platform that should be for positive. And the fact that what I thought I would do during the domestic abuse bill was explain the procedures of the House of Lords. Yes, I'm very very passionate, especially with the House of Lords social media. I don't think they do enough. You know, I keep saying to them, you need to do more. You need to open it up, not just say this is what's happening. You need to explain it. And I got a lot of uh, positive uh, feedback from that because people don't understand it. Like, you know, you've just said division or divide the house. We do all have this language and we forget people don't understand it. So for me, that was that. And also showing them I'm just normal. And if there is issues that people think they're on their own, um, I'm quite happy to go out there. I'm quite happy to challenge the government. You know, I'm probably on the naughty step with the domestic abuse bill because I voted against the government. But I, I believe in people. And that's what David Cameron put me in the house to do. Uh, and and I think we should be honest about what we feel in a sense. It's very difficult. But social media is a platform that can be used for good. I mean, we see many people doing marathons, doing walks with charity. You know, look at Captain Tom, for example. You know, what? through covid it was brilliant Uh Uh, but there's just me so i just have to to kind of do this that's why i pop on with uh, sometimes i have like pencils in my ear or whatever like that but you know and you know my i love to get involved in a campaign and and as i say domestic abuse is a huge area with financial abuse you know and we're still not solving that sally you know this legislation doesn't solve domestic abuse Mm-hmm. The way we solve domestic abuse is education, understanding, uh, you know, banks understanding more about money, people taking loans. We even see it in divorces, you know, divorce people that just, you know, they're, they're coercive controlling in divorce and they're fighting for their homes, their lives. And we, and I just think, so really is legislation helping them people? It's not. We've got to interact. We've got to make it, humanize it. So I love social media. Um, I, it's took me a while to get used to, it. and I have to be grateful to my daughter Zoe, who says, "Mum, you need to do this, or she'll take it from me." But I just think it's just about being real, you know. And I just think, and you meet so many different people, you know. I'm I'm doing some work on a, a global safety summit front with a Sunny Early Days, uh, who I met through um, a colleague who's on LinkedIn. I call it LinkedIn, but it's you know, yeah. Tell you, I'm like, uh, I make all these words up. But you know she used to she worked with three presidents and she's just been speaking to the Joe Biden now because I think there needs to be a global safety summit about social media, just about society because I do believe we're becoming very toxic and and we're being led by you know intelligence instead of using our own brains, our own minds. Um, And it's all down to technology that absolutely knows every second where you are. And it's a bit scary for the next generation. So I just want to make safety a a good aspect of looking how we're going to develop that for the next generation.
0: Well, it's quite an interesting, I I mean, I think the summit sounds great, but it's quite an interesting point you make there. Because it leads me to my next question, which is about, you know, you, you are an activist and a campaigner, if you like. Uh, and I wondered what other laws you would like to see brought into the 22nd century. Because mine, because I also practice, practice in um, data protection and cybersecurity laws, is a communication act. For example, although the Home Secretary was speaking at the cybersecurity conference and has said that that will be coming to review, but I'd like to see what the consultation actually looks like so that online abuse, for example, is dealt with properly and not left. To the social media platforms and and uh, companies who own them, I think the Dangerous Dogs Act needs bringing mm. back into. Now I'm a dog owner. Mm. Uh, I'd like to see that brought in. I see so many dogs, but brought up to date and refreshed. But I wondered what other acts. Although that's why I'm a barrister. You know, I'm going to criticise in the statutes that I've already got that you you guys have made. And uh, in the main, you know, this isn't a political podcast. Mm. But I wondered if you had other are there any other laws that you're interested in. That you'd like to see an improvement um, well,
1: on? Well, I, I think I'm like you, really, with communications. Just as an example, the online abuse legislation has took so long. It's so picky. Uh, and, you know, we've got GDPR, we've got... Uh, you know, I, really, we, we ne- never used to use the word data, did we? We all yeah. used to fill in these forms. You know, like, just for example, your Tesco Club cards, you know, they they sold that data without asking you, which is still a bugbear in my mind. But Tesco sold all that data because it's a huge commodity, brings a lot of money and whatever. And and I think that's because we were never we never got involved in the intelligence side of things. So I'm quite like you. I do think they dragged the heels with communication because commercially, you know, there's a lot of money there, that you know, Google's a lot of money, then you've got the tax implications. I do think it's an area that we need to nail it and we need to mean what we say are you know, flex our muscles. Um, but again. Again, I think it's about power and wealth. This will be interesting. The Dangerous Dog Act's completely with you because it's just, you know, I'm a dog I've been a dog owner for many years and it just frightens me. But I always, and then for me, but for me more importantly, I think, is a victim's law. And that's about, you know, having a representative, not to mess with the adversarial system because obviously when I mentioned this to the judges and on my, you know, my trips, I mean, I did two and a half years visiting police and crime commissioners. So, you know, I was having a glamorous life on the chug chugs as I called them, you know, but it, it, it's, um, it's about, you know, having victims rights and victims law and understanding because otherwise it's, it doesn't mean anything. As you know yourself as, you know, a barrister, which I've always wanted to be a barrister, but I did, I could never get my head, you know, probably not that clever in a sense, but you know, I love listening to barristers. I love how you dissect law. I mean, I'm fascinated by that. Um, but it, I just think we need to have the advocate who will speak for the victim. Uh, not interfere with the system, but we'll have that energy that the victim doesn't have, doesn't have because, you know, we, we do need to be, you know, it does need to be a professional. There's so many charities and volunteers, which is wonderful. However, until we get a paid professional to do that and get the respect in the courts, uh, as we have got, you know, we've got IDVA's Independent Sexual Advice, Domestic Yes,
0: I was just coming to those.
1: I'm working on, well, I was working on that framework to ensure we get it. But again, there's going to be another consultation, Sally. You know, this isn't a political podcast, but my, I'm consulted out to death. You know, I have said to the heads of government, of the law agencies, we've got enough. You know, we've got enough. It's about time you needed to put your money where your mouth is and get it, just get it done. Uh, so another consultation is going to be in the, in the summer, which everybody, well, apart from COVID used to be on holiday. Uh, so it just frustrates me like anything. And, um, so that's going to be an interesting one. But for me, that is about victims and also the social care. Um, for You know, we're all living longer. You know, yeah. you know, I'm very sorry that we're living longer and trying to be healthier. Uh, but now that's the line that says you're living longer is a, is a downside. But I do think we need to look at the social care side of things. It's so important. And, and I don't believe that you should have to sell your home to support your care system. You know, you've worked all your life. Why should you be doing that? So that's going to be another political one um and that's the thing with politics you know it's um about scoring as you know being top of the notch instead of just understanding that what people really need on the ground but on all of this you know sally at the end of the day this is legislation's just one tiny part this is about society about people about understanding uh, actions and accountability if we could get all that right We wouldn't need all these laws that sometimes um, don't do what they say. They actually um, cause more issues, I think.
0: Yes, well, I suppose I wouldn't be saying this because I I want to be done out of a job. But I think most lawyers really we are interpreting and trying to simply complex Areas, and we've seen that through the COVID regulation, mm. really. But that's a whole other podcast. In, in yeah. I style. mean,
1: I'm on the committee for, you know, statutory instruments. So we got all these COVID and it was one after the other, after the yes. other. Yeah. You know, and I'm saying, if it's so quick to do COVID, why can't we get some of these legislation so quickly to get through? It's horrendous. But yeah, there was one and one. I just kept thinking, this is just madness. So yeah, I did this. I'm on the committee for that, and I'm on the committee for the youth unemployment, which I love that one as well. So I'm quite, you know, involved in all this. But I do think we have got to take accountability and responsibility for our actions as well, because otherwise, we've just got to blame everybody instead of looking inside ourselves and saying, why do I act like that, or how can I change for the better and you know, we we got it at the beginning of COVID where we clapped for the NHS, and I'm not happy that they didn't get more, you know, more for the in the salaries. I think they are true heroes. We mourn about wearing masks in a day; they wore them at the, you know, on the front line. They were at a war zone, so clapping's world, but it, we need to do more for the for nurses and everything. But when the communities come together, it's such a lovely feel. But look how quickly we've dispersed. And we want to disperse, you know, or not everybody, but we want this, you know, and that's the rhetoric in the media. But we just got to get back to um, helping our communities. And and that's where I started as a community champion. Uh, So I'll always help that.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. And I I hope that um, it lasts. Well, it's been fascinating because, you know, during COVID, my children asked, how are laws made? And so I, I wrote a children's book, as you know, Rosie and the Unicorn. And there are a few more in the series now. One of them is about how our laws made? Brilliant. Um, and it's interesting hearing it from you, from a non-lawyer point of view, because obviously children are non-lawyers and uh, we need to explain, you know, complicated concepts to them. So it's been utterly, utterly fascinating. But Baroness Newlove, I wonder what's next? I'm just looking at the fantastic Array of uh, areas and titles that you've got. We know that Dame Vera Bird, uh, QC, who was, of course, a lawyer, I think on our circuit before my time, not the Northern Circuit, is now the Victims Commissioner. So I, I don't know if she's working on the Victims Law that you were talking of. But what about you? What's next? And I wonder if a book. I know you've been doing a lot of guest speaking, and you've got an agent, and you've obviously doing some consultations and. You mentioned the podcast. You mentioned your age, which I didn't ask because you don't look it. Thank uh, you. <laughs> that's me, being, uh, which is true. But, yeah, what, what what's next for you? What what have you got planned? Anything exciting you can share?
1: No, I'm not that exciting, Sally. If there is a looking at a book, I would like, for me, I would like to be able to present a show uh, on about, you know, justice, on yes. about other issues um, you know, similar to, I'd love to do like an Oprah Winfrey style show to, to you know, to, to speak to women and men about issues and not like a Jeremy Kyle, this is serious stuff That because COVID has raised a lot of mental health issues and everybody going under them two words, it's already a combustion before COVID. Now I'm really concerned how we get the right support for individuals. It's not one or the other, it's a, a support package around them. But no, I'm just, you know... When I left, when at the last uh, week of uh, my, as Victims Commissioner, I flew to New York and uh, attended the Victims Workshop in the United Nations for the, the Victims yeah. Advocate there is Jane, Jane Connor, and she invited me. And I just thought I would love to go out globally and help others, you know, to do policies for them to understand. Because when you hear horrendous stories of mothers, who want to feed their children and are being raped um, just to give that child, say, a custard cream or any kind of biscuit, it made me feel physically sick. So I think for me, I would like to take what I can and help others to ensure that their voices are always heard with respect and dignity. And, you know, I've just become a judge on the Muslim Women Awards. and reading their the research that 70% of Muslim women who are educated like a white woman uh, are not looked at you know, dismissed for work and, and everything. And I just think, are we any better coming, you know, to a 22nd century in a sense, you know, are we any better? Are we just making it more clogged up in a sense? And, and for me, it's just everybody is entitled uh, to be given that respect. And uh, for women, especially in a mother of three women, yeah. I do think we, you know, we do have a fight on our end. But, uh, you know, just for me, it's just, I'm like you. I just like to keep working. And if I can help, I will. Um, but I just want to be able to give more and and help more people to fully understand politics and policies uh, and help them open that door maybe to make them stronger and confident in themselves.
0: Fantastic. Well, I I did have a follow-up question, but I think that that's uh, such a wonderful ply to my question and answer that um, I'll recouch it. And the question (laughs) is simply, if um, rather than, as I say, I'm not into politics at all, but um, if somebody had a law that um, they were keen to bring to one's attention, I think the members of um, the other house, the commons, you'd have to lobby an MP, wouldn't you, as we yes, found out. But how did they get a baron or a baroness to sort of actively take an interest in that law, potentially?
1: Well, it's the same as they... With the elected chamber, obviously they have, they can question, they can ask the the government to do things and do that. In the House of Lords, they can email that that peer themselves and say we'd like you to champion, and then we just take the conversation. And then what we do, we take this to ministers. We, you know, we can't. um, We take it to ministers for the ministers then to look at it. And that's that's how really the non-fatal strangulation came about. It's just about communicating understanding um you know it's just me as you know sally i don't have any staff and you know um but the fact is it's about just connecting with us and if we can get enough people around that table uh, and we can get the movement going uh, it's very good to have both chambers then um, lobbying government to make sure we get better laws for people
0: yes well that is um uh, I was trying to think of a, a maybe a funny law that we could bring bring in. Actually, maybe all, all shops
1: should have. Shall like, I give you one? I, bowls or
0: something. You know
1: what I think we should have. Um, the, <laughs> this drives me nuts. So we, be, we buy tights, don't we? And they cost a fortune. we put a ladder in them. They throw them in the bin. Yet men's socks are in packs of three, and they last for ages. So why can't we have tights tax free? You know, as part of our, you know, it sounds daft. I mean, I mean, I have to, you know, no gender whatsoever. Men wear tights. But I just think, you know, I'm fed up with paying all this. So I think we need a law where you buy a pair of tights, you know, <laughs> yes. you don't have, yeah, tax free. We don't have to pay VAT, tax free, because men can have their socks lasting for ages. Uh, whereas us women, you can buy a pair of tights. And when you're putting them on, there it goes. The hole goes. And they're supposed to be ladder proof and they never have it so that's me i always go on about that's a silly law <laughs> oh
0: yeah no, i i'm loving that i mean it's a bit like the tampon
1: tax isn't it? Yeah, yeah yeah that's not oh,
0: the period tax let's not get started oh i tell
1: oh, you yeah. yes you know yeah. and menopause men haven't got a clue Yes. You know, it's, and they think it's funny, but actually it makes you very poorly, menopause. It's, it's, it's a change to the body. But yeah, so anything, I'm quite, you know, up for anything like that too. I think that's why we have private members' bills, which is uh, not political. It's just an issue that yes. members take and they either probe government and sometimes government picks it up and puts it in a bill. But it, it makes you, you know, and the trouble is it's very, it's, it's by ballot and everything. But I just think it's interesting, really. Laws can be made and laws can be changed, and laws can get, you know, we can group a lot better, but it is interesting aspect, and I just love law, you know, um, I love love listening um, to to what we can do with the law, but I just think we need to bring people along with it to fully understand as well uh, what their rights are, not just what, you know, and I do think we need to look at local authority laws as well, because we never know what our councils are doing, do we? We always call the government, but I'm just saying, well, what does our local council do? What are they doing? And it's a uh, so, but yeah, I'm just, I think I'm just a, a gobby northerner who likes to investigate and um, really grateful for the people giving me the opportunity to learn different ways of life.
0: Yes, quite. Well, I think that's a podcast in itself, isn't it? All the, all the people that you, <laughs> yeah. the gobby northerner are exploring yeah. the walls and people knowing they're right, they're right. So if there are yeah. uh, people listening in production, I think commission Baroness New Love. Uh, yeah.
1: Please so, do, please. I'd love to do that. I love.
0: To. Well, brilliant, Brownie. Do you love? It's been wonderful talking to you on the Law and Guidance podcast, uh, and fascinating hearing uh, how the House of Lords work and your role as the Vice Commissioner. In addition to your many talents, you know, in the charities you support, you're an Ambassador for another of the Year. It's been really wonderful, and I hope you will come back um, to talk um, to me again. Oh, uh, thank
1: you, Sally. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I say I could can, I can talk and talk. I just think it's really good. It's about being informal. And we're all human, aren't we, Sally? You know, I call you, you whiz around. I'm a, I admire what you do. And I just think it's really nice for people to understand we all have lows and highs. But at the end of the day, we try to do our best, don't we, as we possibly can. So absolutely. Uh, but thank absolutely. you. I've had a ball on it. Thank you very much, Sally, for the, inviting me to come on.
0: Not at all. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bernice New Love. Bye for now.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.